HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, July 1st. This is the 69th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding chef, sustainable food pioneer, and author, and I will introduce him in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to take initiatives. Be a leader. Seek solutions to problems and aim to make a difference. Oftentimes we get caught up in our own agendas and forget that there's a larger world out there with bigger issues that we perhaps can help. So be aware of what's happening around us and take action on things that you believe in. Strive to make the world a better place. That's my tip today. Now I'm really honored to have my guest joining us today. It is Michelle Nishan, the founder, CEO, and president of Wholesome Wave, an organization that strives to create a vibrant, just, and sustainable food system. Michelle is a renowned chef and leader with over 30 years of leadership experience. He is a three-time James Beard Foundation Award winner, including Humanitarian of the Year in 2015. He also owned an operating, operated dressing room, a homegrown restaurant located at Westport Country Playhouse, along with his partner, the late actor Paul Newman. Now, I could go on and on with more accolades and accomplishments, but let's say hello to Michelle. So, are you out there, Michelle? <laughs> I am here, and uh, I love your PR tip of the week. That was fabulous. Well, <laughs> thanks. You inspired it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, you did because um, I think you. I think you do. 
you do take initiatives and you're a leader for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Sherry. It's good to be with you. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm so I'm so glad to have you on the show. I'm sorry you weren't able to make it out here to Bushwick, but um, you know, having you call in is is just just as wonderful. Except next time we'll get you out here for some some pizza and and have yeah. some personal time. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. So I was, I, you know, when I was looking at more of your background, I know you you grew up in the Midwest and um, you had a large family. So what? And, and I saw something about your mo- your mom. How you credit her for um, your interest in in farming and nature. So I wanted to see if if we could start with that a little of your background and if all that's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. First of all, my mom was one of thirteen children in a. Um, South South Central Midwestern farm family. She was from Morley, Missouri, which is in the boot heel right along the Mississippi River. And um, she and all of her brothers and sisters, all my aunts and uncles, were expert cooks, fishers, um, butchers, etc. They they were farmers, so they their whole life was spent, you know, raising raising food and properly preparing food. So it was just a life skill. So I was really really lucky uh, to be brought up in that type of an environment. Yeah, so so how did you then get into cooking and what was what was your first job where <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's so funny because it actually was a uh, a defense mechanism. It was a it was a strategy to eat. Um, you know, my I really wanted to be a musician and I was out playing the club circuit. My mom and dad fell on hard times when right right around the time that I graduated high school so I had to move out of the house uh, but my mom said you know you know get get a job in a restaurant cuz you know how to cook at least you'll eat <laughs> and I did so my first job was at a truck stop on the Illinois Wisconsin border it's called Center's Truck Stop and it's still there to this very day on Russell Road ah good to know <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can't vouch for the food. It's been a long time. <laughs> okay, and yeah. then and then were you just drawn into cooking in the industry? Yeah, well, you know, one thing led to another. So I, I got it was easy for me to get the job at Centers. It was close to where I was living in Antioch at the time, and and the guy who owned the truck stop was in the weeds because uh, a bunch of people had walked out. So I was working there, and he had a nephew of his who was working for a famed restaurateur in Chicago named Gene Sage. And, um, you know, this guy was watching me work, and he said, wow, you really got skills. You should come down and work with me. We're opening a restaurant in Arlington Heights, which is, which is a suburb of Chicago, by the way. You know, and, and, and if you come down and you help us there, it's $2 more an hour. I'm like, right on, man. <laughs> I'm in. So so I, I went there, and then uh, within a very short period of time, they had a chef, John Vates, uh, an Alsatian guy who was their chef at their French restaurant in, in the city called uh, Mont Petit. And he liked my skills and said, why don't you come work with me at Mon Petit after we get this place open? It's $2 more an hour. I'm like, wow, I like this cooking thing. <laughs> so that, that was starting in 1978. And by 1981, I was the chef at a French restaurant in Milwaukee, Wisconsin called the Fleur de Lis. Um, I, I moved pretty rapidly because I had all of those skills that at the time no no American cook really had. I mean, the French Culinary Institute was just just really up and running, had not moved yet to Hyde Park, um, you know, was really more of kind of like a trade school, um, you know, for the culinary industry and stuff like that, though they were starting to take hold, but they weren't, they weren't putting out the graduates like they are today. So I just, I, I lucked out. I did it by the, the school of eyes open, ears open, mouth closed, hands on. 
Yes, you did. And then how did you how did you end up in New York? Because I remember Heartbeat, and right. um, I was a big fan of that restaurant in in Midtown. So what what led you there? Well, you know, I I, I I was in a restaurant in Connecticut called called Mishmash, and very very frustrated with the partnership. Um, but also during that time, my son Chris was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Um, you know, back in '95. And I really started going through this kind of personal and professional turmoil once I learned that what I did with Chris's food would have more to do with his long-term outcome than anything else. And I started really researching and working on how we were, what our food strategy was going to be for Chris at home. I realized that I was feeding customers stuff that some stuff that I wouldn't feed my son, maybe. So, you know, I uh, was going through you know a bad partnership all this wrangling um, with Chris, and, and I met Drew Nieporn, um at the Beard Awards, I think it was 95 or 96, um, that he, like, swept the awards. And, uh, you know, he, he and I, you know, he, he had just opened Nobu, uh, and the New York Times, when it used to be on Wednesday, did a piece on our gospel brunch. And uh, we were actually on the cover, and then when you turn to the inside where the story continued was the thing of the opening of Nobu, so when Drew saw me, he goes, Mishmash. He didn't even know me. You know? <laughs> He's like, Mishmash. And I, I turn, and there's like Drew Nieport, this guy who just won all these freaking James Beard Awards. You know, He's like, we got to talk, brother. So we ended up talking, and he said, why don't you come down into the city, you know, be my chef de cuisine at, at, at Tribeca Grill. He said, you know, look at me. I got my own health problems and stuff like that. I, I believe that, you know, there's a concept in this that we, we should come up with a, a restaurant where anybody, no matter what their health condition is, can have anything they want off the menu other, other than having a food allergy, you know, that they, they could order anything and never have to worry about their health condition. And that's what led to the opening of Heartbeat. And we did that. We opened, I think, like November 1997. So that was a while ago. It was, but you, as as with I think everything you you do, you have you you're you're a leader, and I think that was a leader in this healthful eating, um, which has become a lot more popular now. But um, back then, I think it was I remember it as one of the only restaurants that was was delivering very healthful, healthful, delicious food. Um, yeah, I think we might have been the only actually. <laughs> it, it was really hard to find folks to kind of riff off of, you know, which I was hoping for. You know, I didn't want to turn over a ton of stones, but we did. And it, it's so funny. I, I appreciate you saying it's leadership. But to me, I, I look at it as I, I'm just trying to be responsive. You know, you see something going on if you really believe in hospitality, you know, when you learn certain things about food, you know, and you're feeding tens of thousands of people through your business, you know, I, I would hope that most people would say, hey, you know, maybe I need to take a look at what I'm doing and do it a little differently, you know. So, right. so thank you for that, though. Oh, <laughs> my pleasure. Okay, so I need to find out a little about how you met Paul Newman and how, how uh, the dressing room came about. Okay, sure. So, um, you know, I had had left um, Heartbeat, I think it was like 2002, and started working towards more sustainable change. I really was looking to, I was itching to do something, start a nonprofit. Uh, I was doing consulting work for Song Airlines. They were the first um, airline to do food for sale. They're, uh... Are you there? I am. Can you okay. hear me? Uh, you... You, it went blank for a minute, but now I can hear you. 
Okay, that's odd. Um, so anyway, sorry about that. So anyway, okay. um, you know, they, so I, I, I started working for Song Airways, Delta Airlines, designing their food for sale, which was organic, healthful food. Um, I, start, I had a, a project in India. They wanted a restaurant just like Heartbeat in India, Taj Hotels. So that was a six-year project. Uh, and I was doing a lot of supply chain stuff. I consulted for the International Culinary Center when it was French Culinary Institute to help them help them look at more sustainable sourcing and stuff. I really wanted to see more scalable change. Rather, I, I didn't feel like I could just do it in a single restaurant. And I also was having trouble with heartbeat. Once I started understanding, um, you know, a lot of the, you know, the challenges of people with type 2 face. So I'm in this consulting thing, and I get a call one day by Nell Newman, who, you know, she and I know each other from the Organic Sustainable Movement, and she tells me her dad wants to open a restaurant. This is like 2003 or 2004, um, and says, I, I really need you to help me, help my dad. Uh, and I said, well, you know, Nell, I, I really... Uh, just kind of got out of the restaurant business, you know, but I'll, I'll be a free advisor. So for about a year and a half, um, he was interviewing operators, and I was going to be the guy that was going to help them source locally and, and teach them how to do it in ways that it, they could still have a strong bottom line. And they, they kept disqualifying themselves, not because they didn't want to follow any protocols that we were setting, but because they, they, you know, Paul was very, he loved meatloaf. He was a simple-minded guy, you know, when it came to food. Burgers, meatloaf, really great fish, super simple. And everybody wanted, you know, to do like quail and foie gras and refused to put burgers on the menu. So after about a year and a half, he, he just looked at me and said, would you just do this damned restaurant with me? <laughs> and by then we had become buddies. I would completely fallen in love with the guy. So he had become very impossible to say no to. So that, that's, that's how we started the thing. So we opened in October 2006, and it was a, just an amazing experience. Yeah, I'm sad I never got out there because I, it, I don't have a good excuse for why I didn't because I just kept reading about it and hearing wonderful things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's on my regret list. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I can still cook the meatloaf. <laughs> okay, good to know. Good to know. So, so then let's get into Wholesome Wave because that is something you founded in two thousand seven. I read with Gus Schumacher and with Michael Batterberry, who I know because I had an internship at Food Arts back in nineteen ninety nine, and so yeah. I was always. I just feel very grateful that I did get to work with with Michael and know him. Um, yeah, he's such a good man. You know, it, it's interesting. You know, I was um, had dabbled with being on the board of Chefs Collaborative and worked with some other organizations, nonprofits, because I knew, I really felt that um, white tablecloth restaurants were not going to change the food system. I think white tablecloth restaurants, restaurants like Heartbeat, like Savoy, Back 40, Frontera Grill, real pioneers in opening the conversation up and really highlighting and, and turning people on to the, just the beautifulness and the deliciousness um, and the cultural importance and relevance of good local art, artisanal food. You know, but it, it's just such a small segment of the marketplace. And, um, you know, I, I was expressing my frustrations to Michael, and he said, start your own organization, Michelle. You know, you got a voice. You have some great ideas. Do your own thing. So I started dabbling around. And that's when he introduced me to... Okay, we're going to take a little break here. It's about time for a break anyway. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Hello out there. It's Steve Jenkins. I'm with Fairway Markets. White Leghorn, Red Wattle, Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro. Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a Fairway Butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's Heritage Turkey, Japanese Steaks, Berkshire Pork, or Navajo Churro Lamb Chops is the righteous kind. From healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. Welcome back to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Michelle Nishan, the founder, CEO, and president of Wholesome Wave. We cut off a little bit there, but Michelle, are you are you back? I'm here. Okay, good. <laughs> Technology, what can you say? I don't know, but, but we'll get through this. It's all good. So you were talking. We we're talking about wholesome waves. So yeah. what's so, what? So Michael, you know, um, you know, Michael, Michael encouraged me to do kind of my own thing. So he introduced me to Gus. We started doing some hobby stuff, and it started out with like some supply chain work and all that good jazz. And um, you know, by the time 2007 rolled around, you know, I, I, I tried to found it like back in 2002, 2003. Um, and then I opened Dressing Room Restaurant, and it gave me that opportunity because, um, you know, the restaurant itself, when Paul and I founded it, we're, we're 50-50 partners. His 50% was going to go to support the Westport Country Playhouse, and my 50% I could use for whatever, you know, advocacy. I wanted her to just keep the money, so I founded a West, the Westport Country Playhouse Farmer's Market, started doing some other stuff, but that's when you know, I really realized that, that lack of affordability was like the biggest barrier for underserved consumers who are struggling with things like type 2 diabetes. Um, you know, almost 20 million Americans are, are either pre-diabetic or have, you know, the, those indicators that, that are going to either lead to some kind of heart disease, um, you know, or, or diabetes just underserved Americans alone. So it's, it's a big number. Um, so we, we started raising private money. I founded the organization and was the sole employee. Gus and Michael were my board. Um, and we, we started doubling the value of, of food stamps when they were spent at farmer's markets on locally grown fruits and vegetables, um, just so that we could feel like we were doing something, kind of a min- minimally viable product approach, um, and then put it out there in the space and see what happened. And it, it exploded. It, it just went wild. It went nuts. I think in 2007, we were in one market. In 2008, we were in in 10 farmers markets in three states. And by 2010, we were in like 20 states, 250 farmers markets. And the phone was ringing off the hook with people wanting us to go into their state and do their program. And just last year, the farm bill passed with $100 million to double food stamps when spent at farmers markets um, and participating grocers on local and regionally grown 
uh, fruits and vegetables. So you know, it, the kind of like this little kind of cool idea turned into to to a real thing. You know, so we're really pleased about that. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> now. Talk with the, the, the mission of Wholesome Wave. I know you're about affordable, healthy, local food for all. What other what are the other um, initiatives and and how are you how are you going about implementing as you've grown since 2007? Well, you know, it's interesting because our, our kind of like the long range kind of mission that goes along that vision of you know you know good, affordable, healthy, local food for all is that we believe that that underserved consumers are a very powerful force. We believe that when when they encounter and we've proven when they encounter affordability, they become a very very powerful market force. So so just in food stamps alone, 50 million Americans spend. $80 billion in food stamps every year, and then they match that with a dollar of their own. So it's a $160 billion consumer marketplace. So just imagine what would happen if these consumers could afford to choose to spend that money differently. You know, so it, there's a lot of power in that. And, and we really believe that, that that is going to become the truth, that these underserved consumers can become heroes of a changed food system. So, um, you know, we, we do it through affordability programs like the Double Value Coupon Program that I just explained. Um, that targets farm bill policy. And then we have a fruit and vegetable prescription program, Sherry, where we work with doctors and nurse practitioners in, in four public hospitals in New York City, community health centers all over the country, including in the Navajo Nation, where doctors and nurse practitioners will diagnose a patient as, as you know, pre-diabetic, overweight, obese, um, you know, hypertensive, basically all the comorbidities that are going to lead to a diet-related disease. And then that patient gets a prescription, sees a nutritionist who helps them set healthy weight goals and lifestyle goals, uh, coaching counseling around, um, you know, healthy food tips and cooking tips. And then they're introduced to participating retailers and farmers markets where they can exchange those prescriptions for free fruits and vegetables. And then to get their refill, they go back monthly and, and they're measured for health outcomes. And over a four-year period of time, we've consistently shown that 47% of index patients drop their body mass index within a 14-week intervention. So it's a really powerful program. And they're, you know, we're tar targeting Medicare, Medicaid policy, um, the Affordable Care Act. There are a variety of policy levers and the billions of dollars that we believe can be shifted towards these families so they can afford to make those healthier food choices that they so desperately want to. And this is happening all across the country. Correct. Yes, it is. We're, I think we're in 12 states now with the Fruit and Vegetable Prescription Program. We're in 33 states in Washington, D.C. Um, through our National Nutrition Incentive Network, that's the Double Value Coupon Program. Uh, we, and t we expect that to grow um, you know, in the next couple of years. You know, it certainly has been the trend so far. You know, so we've, uh, you know, we've added uh, some heft to our executive team uh, at Wholesome Wave. We're um, increasing the capacity of our board. We are a growing organization, and what we found is that there are some really amazing like-minded nonprofit partners out there that are leaders in the movement, and we've all begun collaborating together, 
you know, to really build the energy so that we can say there's a real viable food movement behind this work uh, so that when we go to the next farm bill, uh, we, we'd love to see, you know, way more than $100 million uh, to double food stamps at farmer's market. We'd like to see it a permanent program just become normal everyday life in America. If you're struggling because you've hit hard times, you can still afford to put good quality food on the table so that over time your family doesn't get sick and then put a burden on the health care costs um, of the country. So it's, uh, it's, kinda, it, it, it's a big vision, but uh, we think it's doable. I think everything is solvable through food, and, and I think more people want good food than what most people assume. So uh, I think it's a great opportunity for us to change the world through food. I love it. It's so inspiring. I think what you're doing is amazing. Thanks. What type? What What are the challenges you have most mostly now? If well, you know, as always, because we're a nonprofit, raising money is always okay. a challenge. <laughs> yes. You know, um, you know, that's it's just um, it's it's one of those things. It's not like um, you know coming up you know with a uh, an awesome new product you know like the electric toothbrush or something as simple as a coat hanger that's widely adopted by the world um so raising money is is um you know always something that we have to focus on but we've got some great partners you know like naked juice food and wine magazine um a lot of private foundations individual donors newman's own foundation uh, and the Betsy and Jesse Fink Foundation were founding funders of ours. They're with us all this way. Uh, but I think, you know, structurally, um, one of the challenges that we're having, you know, with, with Gus as, as, as a founding board chair, and he was our vice president of policy for six years, um, you know, he was a um, and so when we were going to work on the farm bill stuff, he really understood the ag language, and I also understood it because I come from a farming family. What we're learning um, in the in the public health space and in the medical space, the fruit and vegetable prescription program, is that it's a completely different language. <laughs> you know, all acronyms and terminology and all that stuff. So you know, we're we're learning. Um, very, very handily that not all agencies and departments of the United States government work the same. They're very, very different. So that that's a little bit of a challenge for us right now. But, you know, we're addressing that again, you know, by kind of beefing up our executive team and the board. And also just some really amazing um, partners on the ground, like, you know, New York City's Department of Health, um, you know, uh, Barbara Turk, who's now the Food Policy Council coordinator for Bill de Blasio's office, you know, we've got some good folks in the governor's office for the state of New York that are really interested in this type of program approach. Um, you know, so we're 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 getting there, but it it's definitely uh, it's definitely a different language and therefore a challenge. I can imagine, but and I will I will give a shout out to your partner Naked Juice for that wonderful brunch that we had honoring you as yeah, humanitarian cool? of the year in Chicago. It was great. I loved it. It was really cool to be a part of it, and um, yeah, they did a nice job. So speaking of delicious stuff, let me ask you my question from my last guest. I had on Jean-Francois Bonnet. He's the executive pastry chef at Tumbador Chocolate. So I asked him to ask you a question, and he wanted to know, what's your favorite chocolate? Okay, uh, so I have, I have two. I love green and black. Okay. And I love uh, Michel Cluizel, um, uh-huh. which is, which comes out of South America. Uh, they're both organic, and, and they're both really high quality. I love them. Okay. Fabulous. How do you like that? 
That's, I, I think I think it's it's great. I had he he wasn't sure what to ask you. I'd helped him a little bit with that, but um, well, it's always good to guy, know. So he asked yeah, me what my favorite chocolate is. It makes sense. <laughs> it totally does. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna take another break here and come back. We're gonna do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. And this one's Sunday Night Chicks by Mamarazzi. We'll be right back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Michelle Nishan. It's time for my speed round game. So, Michelle, what this is is I'm going to name two things, and you just pick your preference. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Oh, boy, tipping. I'm pretty generous. Okay. Yeah, the all-inclusive, I'd find myself leaving more tip. Ah, I got it. So you're, like, double tipping. Yeah, well, or, or you know, yeah, I, it's not uncommon for Lori and I to leave 25 to 35%. You know, we, we've been in the business a long time, and servers work really hard. Well, people in the industry tend to, tend to do that. So, yes, it does. Yeah. I, I, I'm not surprised by that either. Um, okay, how about communal table or chef's counter? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yes, I love them both, man. I, I can't choose. Okay. Writing award-winning cookbooks or making award-winning TV segments? Now, wait a second. That's a trick question. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you've done both. I could add yeah, in there. Or winning um, humanitarian yeah, I, of the yeah, year. I love the TV thing, um, you know, because it, it, you, people actually get to see and hear you um, directly. You know, I, I, I kind of dig that. Okay. A couple more. Newman's own dressing, sauce, or salsa? Or I could go on. There were many more brands. You mentioned popcorn. Popcorn. I know. I I decided to keep it to to liquids. Yeah, they're all good, man. It's uncanny how good his products are. You know, it's it's just amazing. Yeah, I agree. Okay, cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan, Brooklyn, Westport or Bridgeport? I don't even know if those two are different, but they Uh, seem different to me. Brooklyn, (laughs) Bridgeport. Okay. They're a little. They're, they're they are different little towns, right? Westport. Yeah, Bridgeport. they're cool, I mean, man. And they both start close, with a B. <laughs> okay, and they rhyme. <laughs> okay, that's the game. Great. Awesome. Hey, did I win anything? You win um, a a discussion now in industry news. That's, oh, awesome. I know. I I give big prizes here. Um, <laughs> so and 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 me knowing what your favorites are. Those are the things you win. Okay. Cool. Good. 
So first article I had was in the New York Times. It was on farm waste and animal fats will help power a United jet. And this is talking about how United Airlines is going to be using fuel generated from farm waste and oils derived from animal fats. And they have a $30 million investment with one of the largest aviation biofuels called Fulcrum mm. Bioenergy. I was wondering if you knew something about this <laughs> or had some well, insight. You know, I, yeah, I'm familiar with, um, you know, Willie Nelson and... Um, and he's done a, a lot of really great stuff um, with biodiesel. And, you know, when you look at just the amount of, of fat waste, and not just animal fat, it's animal fat, vegetable, all kinds of, you know, all kinds of fat, all kinds of stuff can be converted into fuel um, that, that's fat-based. There's a lot of promise there in, in eliminating that big portion of, of, of the food waste. You know, and any fuel burning obviously um, bears a, uh, a pretty strong carbon footprint, but you know, if you're if you're leaving a carbon footprint and creating an incredible amount of waste, and you can eliminate either one of those things, you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, it sounded good to me. I, I'm not that familiar. Yeah, I think with it's pretty this. awesome. Planes burn a lot of fuel, man. Well, that's it. it was saying that you know it will, it will reduce carbon emissions and pollution, and also um, help with the cost of jet fuel. Oh, that's cool. If it if it reduces emissions, that's actually pr- uh, a lot of progress right there. Well, actually, I'm now looking back at my notes. I don't. I might have gotten that wrong because it says the airlines are increasingly under pressure to reduce it. So uh, don't quote me on that. Okay. Well, we'll wave <laughs> the magic wand and hope that it ends up being true, and we'll follow it. How does that sound? Yeah. Well, it seems like they're going in the right direction, and and this first flight they're doing is from L.A. to San Francisco sometime this summer. So cool. Uh, cool. Cool if anyone's going to be on that. Uh, the other article I had was also in the New York Times. It was from last week, and it was on how Manhattan's dining center of gravity shifts downtown. And this was by Jeff Gordonier. And this is something, uh, you know, it's been happening uh, over, I think, the past, well, they say it started in, like, 1995, this revitalization trying to get people downtown. But I think over the past couple of years, we've been seeing restaurateurs like Danny Meyer and Steven Starr opening downtown. And there's just a lot happening in the financial district and Brookfield Place, Hudson Eats. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's kind of exciting for downtown New York. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, what's interesting, it's something because I know, you know, when Wall Street needed to move, um, a lot of that was kind of forced by the new technologies and those old buildings. You just couldn't couldn't run the the internet you couldn't run the electric you couldn't you just you know there it was impossible to do business um you know technologically in those buildings but they're fabulous buildings you know so to really see you know that revitalization happening you know downtown and see these buildings get repurposed i i i just dig it i think it's fantastic i mean that that historically that's like the original New York, you know, is is that whole area downtown and Wall Street, you know, those are those are the original borders of the city. In fact, you know, Gus Schumacher, um, you know, his his uh, great grandfather farmed on 76th and West End Avenue. It was all farmland or 76th and Broadway. It was just Broadway was a road that that they used to drive farm goods into the city. It's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, well. There you go. There you go. Yeah, and downtown, I mean, obviously they've 
it's been hard with 9-11 and Sandy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been it's been a struggle. And I think even, you know, you know, from guys like like Drew, who've been in Tribeca for a really long time. I mean, that was a ghost town when he opened. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a lot happening down there. It uh, seems to be the place to be. Well, it doesn't surprise me that the restaurant industry is leading the way. You know, we're all of us in this business are kind of fearless. So you look at guys like Drew and guys like Danny, they really have defined the city. They've helped define the city. They were, they're really bold thinkers who have done remarkable things. Um, there's no question to the quality and the diversity that they've brought to it. Um, it's exciting stuff. Yes, it is. Well, terrific. Okay, so we're going to take another break here and come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This one's Intrigued by Obesity. We'll be right back. back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience of the week, which this week is brought to you by our friends at One House Hospitality Headhunters. You can follow them on Facebook as well as on Twitter at one underscore house and Instagram at one house. And that's spelled O-N-E-H-A-U-S. Okay, so here's the rundown of my solo dinner at Osteria Francescana. The location. In the heart of Modena, in Emilia-Romagna region of Italy. The concept, contemporary cuisine in an elegant 12-table restaurant infused with art and design. The chef and owner, Massimo Botoro. Why did I go? Because Massimo is a world-renowned chef whose three-star Michelin restaurant, which opened in 1995, has been listed in the top five at the world's best 50 at the World's 50 Best Restaurant Awards since 2010, and this year ranked number two, an honor he received in London a few days after my visit. My experience. Well, I was staying in Milan, so I took the train down to Modena, took two hours. After a quick cab to the restaurant, I was greeted by a nice and professional staff and seated in one of the small rooms with four tables in total. Beautiful art adorned the walls of the minimalistic room, and I couldn't have been happier to be there. What did I get? Well, after debating between the two tasting menu options, sensations and tradition in evolution, the server told me that he could make a combination tasting menu so that I would get the best of both. Fabuloso. So my 12 plus course tasting menu consisted of stunning dishes with clever names, including five ages of Parmigiano Reggiano in different textures and temperatures, the crunchy part of lasagna, foie gras ice cream bar with traditional balsamic vinegar from Modena, and oops, I dropped the lemon tart vignola. My take. Wow. 
Each dish was so creative and exquisite. Massimo reinterprets traditional Italian dishes with artistry and sensibility. My favorite courses were the ones that I just mentioned. And my favorite moment was meeting Massimo. What a warm and charismatic man. The scene. Quiet tables of fellow foodies. Perfect for food and restaurant lovers. Interesting tidbits. Massimo recently opened Refettorio Ambriziono, a soup kitchen in Milan, as a part of the city's World Expo, using discarded food from the show to feed the poor. Some of the world's most renowned chefs, like Rene Rinzeppi and Daniel Hume, have dropped by to help out. Another tidbit, Massimo stars in Netflix's Chef's Table series with his wife, Laura. I watched his episode this past weekend, and it's wonderful. A must-see. Personal fun fact. Massimo invited me in the kitchen after my lunch, and as a gift, gave me this giant chunk of over 30-month-old Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese to take home. I'm not sure why I deserve this gift, but I feel very lucky, and I still haven't eaten it. So grazie mille, Massimo. The cost, I spent 215 euro, because I had bottled water and coffee. The tasting menu is 195 euro. Would I go back? Yes. Website. OsteriaFrancescana.it. Whew. So that was my long um, solo dining experience. Um, thank you for, Michelle, are you still there? <laughs> I, I am, and boy, did that sound awesome. It was awesome. Do you, have you been there? Do you know Massimo? I have not been there. I've heard of Massimo. I'm hearing about him because everybody's coming back from, uh, you know, the James the James Beard, uh, you know, P- U.S. Pavilion and, right. and talking about it. So, yeah, I, I can't I can't wait. To, I'm going out there in October. I can't wait. Oh, great! I was out there for this is I was this is the purpose of the trip was to go to the expo. So um, I was there in the end of May, and it was great. Um, it was, and I I'm impressed with this soup kitchen he's doing. I think you know. It's a guy who 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 does more than run a, a fancy fine dining restaurant. <laughs> so. Yeah, chefs have a tendency to do that. We like feeding people, all people. Yeah, no, good good community, good industry. Indeed. Okay, so it's time for the final question. So next week, my guests are from Open Table. I'm having on Jen Pelka. She's the director of restaurant marketing, and Olivia Terenzio. She's the content marketing manager. So I want to see if you could ask them a question. Yeah, I, I think I do want to ask them a question. We used Open Table um, at, at Dressing Room. It's a great program, and I'd love to see them get a little more into cause marketing and um, you know adding a component where restaurants can easily through Open Table and customers logging in through Open Table uh, can kind of connect their experience and some of the some of the resources that that result from their experience to go to uh, favorite. Uh, cause-based charities of their choice. I think that would be cool. Ask them if they're working on that. Okay. (laughs) Serious question here. No, that's great. That's really great. Um, Yeah, they touch millions of people, so. It's true. I've been a fan of Open Table for for a long time, and they've grown and they've changed, and um, I'll see what they have to say about that. Yeah, they can help change the world through food, too. (laughs) They certainly can. And, awesome. Yeah, and and before I close, I just want to say now I have to go back and listen to your archive shows that you did on Heritage Radio. It's more than food. 
Yeah, that was so awesome. You know, we we did that for a while as we were leading up to the Farm Bill, just trying to open conversations up around, uh, you know, what the opportunities were, policy opportunities, uh, that people could directly engage in and, and actually reclaim some of their democracy through food. So it was a cool show. I really enjoyed it. We got, we got to look into getting back on. Okay, well... I'll talk to Jack. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Jack's the man. Yeah. And I, I have to talk to Jack about getting my plaque because you have a plaque out, out in the in the little nook, and I don't. <laughs> hey, tell him I want your plaque next to my plaque. Okay. Okay. I think he's right, listening. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. And um, I'm, just, I'm just honored to know you and everything you're doing, uh, I, think, I think, is amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. So I've been talking to Michelle Nishan. He's the founder, CEO, and president of Wholesome Wave. Their website is wholesomewave.org. You can follow them on Twitter at Wholesome Wave and at Michelle Nishan. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry, at Heritage underscore Radio. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website's BayerPublicRelations.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes, so you can listen to us as podcasts anywhere, anytime. You can also leave reviews of my show on iTunes, and I would love that, trying to get some more reviews up. So if you can take the time to do that, that would be great. Thanks always to my engineer, Jack, and to Michelle, and everyone listening. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 with another live show. Till then, have a great week. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.